How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 38 of X-Lapsed. And, uh, well, full disclosure, this might be a uh, cranky episode because uh, the book we're covering is kind of all over the place, in my opinion. Um, The subject today is Excalibur, volume 4, number 5, had a March 2020 cover date. And uh, let's just hop right in here. Uh, The story is called Verse 5, Panic on the Streets of London. I suppose we should be happy it wasn't just, you know, London Calling. That seems to be, you know, the writery shorthand for cramming a song title into uh, into these Excalibur-type books. Um, written by Teeny Howard, Art Marcus Toe, or Tau, Colors, Eric Arshaniga, Letters, VCs, Corey Petit, Design, Tom Muller, Head of X's Hickman, Edits, Bisa White-Sabalski, Cover Price, $3.99, On Sale Date, January 8th, 2020, and uh, let's uh, let's temper the crankiness here by just uh, you know just sitting in awe of this beautiful cover. Uh, this is a really really striking cover. Here we see uh, a sleeping rogue drawn by Mahmoud Azrar and Matthew Wilson. As you know, Apocalypse's hands are kind of hovering above her here, but it's a, really a very striking, beautiful cover here. It's a uh, Probably right up there with that uh, really awesome Jean Grey cover we saw in uh, X-Force number three. Just wonderfully striking here. Makes you want to read, uh, makes you want to open it up and see what's inside, uh, which I guess could be a good or bad thing, depending on uh, on your mileage. So let's do it. We cracked this thing open. We got our roll call. We've got Gambit, Rogue, Richter, Jubilee, Betsy Britton, Pete Wisdom, and A... And we open with Gambit still fallen in the underground. If you remember last issue, he kind of fell off that cliff when those druids did. Those druids kind of got under Richter's skin, and Richter lost control of his powers, and Gambit slipped. So uh, Richter's just kind of standing there yelling for a bit, before naturally deciding to dive in and rescue his teammate. Which he does, all the while giving him grief about how he's given up the idolization of a group of men with beards to do so. Hopefully this means we won't have to actually worry about seeing any more druids for a little bit. Uh, I... who knows. Um, Now, it's not completely clear to me, but I think Richter uses one of those crystals that he was given uh, by the druids to save Gambit. I'm not sure how it works, or even what the goal was supposed to be here, but it looks like everything's okay. Um, I I don't understand. These panels could be... I could find out that these panels were put in upside down and reversed, and it would have made just as bad as much sense to me here. Uh, the action is kind of... I haven't the foggiest idea. 
Uh, from here, we get uh, two pages with names on them. And then we come back to comics and rejoin Richter and Gambit. They're back on the outside of the Earth, so they're above ground now. And they're stunned to see those otherworldly beasties tromping around the land. We get a Smith's reference, which, of course, is the name of this title. Uh, the, the title of this issue, I should say. Uh, from here, A delivers a psychic projection to advise them that they got to be getting back to the lighthouse so he can finally, finally finish his ritual. He also refers to Gambit and uh, Richter as his coven, which is kind of stupid, and it kind of makes Apocalypse sound crazy, like not in a good way. Just sounds really bad. Uh, we shift scenes from here to London, where Betsy and Pete Wisdom are battling back the Hydra. As luck would have it, they do so right at the foot of Pete's flat. Okay, here's a question. Here's a question here. Um, do folks in the UK or Great Britain or England or whatever I'm supposed to call it, do they like it when Americans say the word flat instead of apartment? Or like lift instead of an elevator? Or chips instead of fries? Or pubs instead of bars? I wonder because I, I think we only do it to sound like worldly and smart, you know? <laughs> but what do I know? Um, they say it's a flat here. I'm going to call it a flat for, for this part here. And maybe I'll think of other words to use as we uh, as we work our way through. Anyway, they, uh, they climb the fire escape and enter Peter's pad. Um, now, are they just leaving the dragon to incinerate the rest of the Londoners here? Or, or is this Hydra only hungry for witch breeds? Uh, it's not made clear. But uh, ducking into Pete's place seems, I don't know, uh, like counterproductive and maybe irresponsible for, you know, the living embodiment of Great Britain in, in Betsy here. Though, I guess, if not for this one page aside, how would we ever get Pete Wisdom awkwardly and aggressively flirting with Betsy? Uh, we find out here that Pete's gotta stay behind because one of the gaggle of high-powered shadow agencies he works for needs him or something. Kinda begs the question why he even bothered to show up in the first place, doesn't it? I mean, he hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. He went with Betsy to meet with those, uh, those two clowns last issue, but that's about it. I suppose maybe it's just the fact that you know, the book is called Excalibur, and uh, anybody who writes Excalibur wants to write Warren Ellis characters, so ipso facto, we got Pete Wisdom. Uh, from here, we shift scenes into Rogue's mind, and she's shown walking in a calm land. It's uh, the very same as the one Betsy dreamt about a few issues back. You remember where she met up with that flaming wolf with the sword on his back? Yeah, that place. And uh, you'll never guess who Rogue's about to meet. Yeah, yeah, Flaming Wolf, Sword on the Back, yeah, that same one. Uh, she follows the pup to a large circle with an X that had been mowed into the plains, you know, kind of like the X-Men logo. The circle is surrounded by Moai heads that look like sentinel heads. And then, one of the heads crumbles, revealing a statue of Apocalypse. Now, she questions the Apocalypse, asking about the task he needed her for. The Apocalypse then opens its mouth and hammers Rogue with a blast of energy... or something... He might have just been, like, rinsing out after brushing his teeth. It, it did look minty fresh, so I, I have no idea. Back on Earth, Excalibur and A.E. are battling back the beasties. We get further confirmation that baby Shogo is responsible for this. Remember, he was a dragon for a minute, and he breathed fire, which cut through the fabric of Otherworld or whatever. A Jubilee insists that Shogo's a good boy. A.E. agrees, mostly, because... Hey, this is all falling into place for him. This is exactly the sort of thing he wanted to happen. Gambit's there, and he's annoyed that Rogue only started to stir after he was sent out on a mission. 
Which, uh, how would he even know that? Did I, did I miss, like, him finding that out? I, I doubt Apocalypse is being quite so transparent with everything that's going on. I don't know. Apocalypse claims that his plans had been altered. And Gambit ain't surprised, because, you see, he had some unnamed Krakoan telepaths working on waking her up for a little while now. Learning this causes A to fly into a rage, because... This can even further alter his plans, because everything had been measured to a T, and timing was everything. He suggests that Gambit very well might have just signed his wife's death warrant. So I guess Gambit and Rogue are still married. Okay. Speaking of Gambit's wife, let's pop back to the wherever the hell she is. Rogue's toppled over and almost appears to be pregnant with whatever beam of glittery toothpaste A just, sp- just spat at her. She reaches up, takes a sword from the Apocalypse statue, and, uh, well, she plunges it into her gut, like you do. Uh, she makes sure to complain a little bit about men while she does this, which, I don't know, feels unnecessary, but I guess very current year Marvel. Uh, I haven't the foggiest clue what we're even looking at here, or what just happened, so I'll just, uh, try my best here. This is another one, another sequence where the panels could be arranged in all different orders, upside down, inside out, and I'd still get the same thing out of it. So, Rogue here, she's suddenly okay. In in the dreamscape, of course. She sees the flaming wolf, who she now knows is a... maybe a representation of Rachel Summers, or or is it Rachel Gray? I, I think... I think when I left the X-Book, she was calling herself Rachel Gray, but she's been referred to as Rachel Summers in Dawn of X. Maybe it's interchangeable, maybe it just doesn't matter, I don't know. Whatever the case, Rogue approaches a throne that appeared nearby. She goes to sit upon it, but then the sky changes. It goes all orange and red. It's like Crisis on Infinite Earths here, and uh, we can see suns and moons. So what in the hell does this all mean? Well, since the next couple of pages are of the info variety, I guess we're about to find out. Well, we would have been you know, about to find out had these pages not been so damned hard to read. I feel like we're trying very, very hard here to coin terminology here. And also, we're using purposely obtuse language to baffle the reader with BS. Uh, Maybe it's just trying to make us feel like we're reading, like, high literature. It doesn't work for me, though. I'm sure it impresses some. I just gotta go back to one of my main complaints about these info pages. Show, don't tell. You know, uh, we... this is... This is too jarring, and it really pulls me out of the story. And I, and I wasn't that invested to begin with. Whatever the case, Rogue decides now it's the time for her to actually wake up. Back topside, Gambit and A are duking it out. With Gambit perhaps lasting a little bit longer than you might expect. I mean, Apocalypse really shouldn't be struggling with him this hard. Apocalypse has taken out whole teams of X-Men, and he's... You know, Gambit's getting some punches in here. Uh, he eventually slams Gambit to the ground before heading back over to that Krakoan portal to Otherworld. And he, A.E., that is, is gobsmacked to see that one of the druid's crystals has been spent. If you remember, Richter had to use one to nebulously save Gambit in our opening pages. Richter explains this to A.E., but that doesn't exactly fix the situation. He needs all the crystals to be fully charged in order to enact his ritual, whatever the hell this ritual may be. He flies off the handle and starts shaking Gambit's limp body, hopeful that some of the crystal's energy might be inside him. Suddenly, he is punched into next week. Well, he's actually punched into an otherworld beastie by the newly awakened rogue. And she just wrecks poor A. 
She approaches, she removes her gloves, and she places her hands upon A's face, to which he asks her to kill him, because he's got some old-ass bones that might help give enough energy to power the portal or something. And so, Rogue kills A. In so doing, the Kirkoan gateway to Otherworld closes, and the beasties are gone. So, uh, yay? Um, Rogue reveals that Apocalypse wanted the throne of Otherworld for himself, or something. We wrap up by getting a good look at Rogue, who is now all apocalypsy, And we are to be continued. Next episode, we will be finally... We're finally going to be death-birded in uh, New Mutants number 5. But before we do that, well, let's talk about this, right? Let's uh, let's talk about this issue we just... Uh, this issue that just happened to us. Um, and, you know, it's like Excalibur had a pretty good run there. Uh, I think it was uh, what one issue that I dug, kind of. Yeah. And the thing of it is, that issue... I think it only looked so good because it was compared to, uh, like, the rest of the line, like, really crapped the bed with the number fours. So it made Excalibur number four look worth reading by comparison. Um, I feel like this is being written as obtusely as possible. And also, though I might be projecting that I'm, like, supposed to be wildly impressed by its obtuseness. Like, I'm supposed to feel like I'm reading something smart instead of something just baffling. And what this is, is baffling. This is, uh, you know, the old Dagwood sandwich of weirdness and supposed depth that really doesn't amount to much, you know? And, you know, the Dagwood sandwich is, you know, the Blondie and Dagwood, the the comic strip, you know? You see Dagwood with a sandwich with, like, 45 different layers in it. You know, there's, like, there are pickles, there are, there are like, whole fish sticking out of this thing. There are, you know, grapes hanging out of it. There's just too much stuff here. You know, how many layers do we need in this in this book? It, this really doesn't impress me. And honestly, if I weren't a completely sick-in-the-head completionist, and if I wasn't trying to make this an all-inclusive series, I'd be dropping this one. I'd be done with it. Uh, I probably would have dropped half the line by now if I were a more you know, well-adjusted human who wasn't a prisoner of, uh, of their own comic book collection. I'm trying to think of things to say. And I mean, this feels kind of like like the reverse Fallen Angels. Now, Fallen Angels, for the handful of people who actually listen to those episodes, because that one's a tough sell, uh, it's difficult to talk to be, talk about because, um, really, what is there to say? Nothing happens, and uh, there's only so many you know deep, poetic conversations that we can discuss, right? There's just nothing happening. By contrast, Excalibur is difficult to talk about because just where in the hell would you begin? So much happens, but it's like so much nothing happens. You know what I mean? It feels like you take a like a maybe a 50-word paragraph, a, a decently written paragraph that makes complete sense, and you put a stick of dynamite in the middle of it, and it explodes. Pieces fly everywhere and just land wherever they land, and it just feels very, very... Uh, obtuse um it's <laughs> baffling um i'm trying to think of like a single thing i liked about this issue outside of the cover and i suppose i'm happy that rogue's finally awake um but at the same time now she's apocalypsed and i could give a crap 
uh, Betsy and Pete's scene was unnecessary and only seemed to serve to show Pete being a creeper. Richter and Gambit scene to open was a means to an end, and it paid off one of our cliffhangers. I don't know how it did it, because the, uh, the storytelling was very strange there. Just like, okay, they're surrounded by Earth, there's pointy things sticking out, and then all of a sudden, okay, we're back topside. I don't understand it. Uh, Rogue's stroll through the wherever the hell was about as obtuse a collection of scenes that we're likely to see in the next book, not called Fallen Angels. And, you know, in fairness sake here, I'm guessing if you were a person who waits for the trade, you'll probably get a bit more out of this because this is just chapter five of, I'm assuming and hoping, six, and it's just another beat in the story. But as a single issue, it kind of fails. Um... I'm trying to think of more things to say, and I just can't, um, because I would just be repeating myself, and nobody wants to hear that. But, uh, you know, considering that the Marvel method is, you know, quote, make this story six issues long or else, I suppose I am sort of looking forward to our next issue, simply because it should be our well-deserved ending. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, But really, that's... That's all I got to say about uh, Excalibur number five. I'm sorry to come down so harshly on it. I just, uh, I just did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy it. But uh, before we cut out of here, let's do a little bit of feedback here. We're gonna we're gonna talk with Damien, who's gonna be uh, discussing Fallen Angels number four and a little bit more on Excalibur number four. Now he says this issue of Falling Angel Falling Fallen Angels is literally just one conversation. This takes decompression to a whole other level. I continue to see parallel between the writing I'm seeing here and the terrible poetry I used to write when I was 17 and had read a lot of Sandman. It's awful. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it is wildly decompressed. Um, and it's like uh, I've read a lot of decompressed stuff. We've all read a lot of decompressed stuff before, and decompression. You know, warts and all isn't always a bad thing. Um, like, uh, I, I know I give Bendis a lot of crap, but, uh, like, his Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, I, I can say that I would think Bendis was born to write Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, uh, because it was just, it was perfectly him. And when I'd finish an issue of that, and it would go quickly, of course, because it was wildly decompressed, but when I was finished with an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, I was, like, counting the days till the next one came out, you know, because it was just so well done. It was just, like, it just, it was organic, and it felt right. Fallen Angels, it takes very little time to read this, but at the, that, but when I'm done, I'm just like, oh, man, I'm going to have to read another one of these in a few days. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Um, it. Another thing between, you know, other decompressed books, they're not, they're usually not quite as repetitive as Fallen Angels, because... I mean, I feel like I'm repeating myself talking about how repetitive this book is because we're finding out the same revelations every issue out so far. And I really, I didn't care much the first time, and fifth and sixth time I'm going to care even less. So, yeah, it's it's a toughie. Um, Damien continues, On to your reactions to my comments about Britishness. I love that your example of getting it wrong, saying Grant Morrison is British, was actually correct. Scotland is part of Britain. 
If you're going to talk about us, I'd advise using UK. It covers everyone involved in that invasion. Or you could say British, but make sure you don't mention Garth Ennis, who is from Northern Ireland. And it's funny, um, the Grant Morrison thing, we actually got called out for that when we, uh, when we referred to him as, as being British. Somebody actually wrote in and was like, you know, hey, dummies, he's Scottish. And we're like, whoops, because we don't know anything. <laughs> we don't know what's what. Um, you talk about Northern Ireland, and you're going to talk a little bit more about it, so I'll save what I have to say for after that. Uh, Damien continues, I wouldn't worry that you have Irish heritage and don't really get the history. I only found out last year that my granddad was from Southern Ireland when I always thought he was from Northern Ireland. My mom was mortified at my, at my error. I nearly got disowned. I couldn't tell you where the Sheehans come from. Uh, north, north, South, East, or West Ireland. I, I couldn't tell you. Um, we got Sheehans and Dempseys in my family, and I, I, know they're, I know they're Irish. I just couldn't tell you exactly where. <laughs> I don't know. And, and I'm learning stuff here because I didn't know that there was any great big difference. I knew a little bit about like the IRA and stuff, and only through the prism of comic books, though. I was still very young when that was sort of percolating at its, you know, at a fever pitch, relatively speaking, I suppose. And uh, I only know about it because, you know, there was a story in Action Comics Weekly that had, uh, you know, that had an Irish revolution. And there was a story in Web of Spider-Man that got canceled because it was too close to reality and stuff like that. So everything, you know, everything I know, I know from comics, basically. Uh, <laughs> Damien continues... Uh, then again, I only discovered that the American War of Independence and your Civil War were separate conflicts after seeing Hamilton and wondering why they didn't cover the whole war. Now, that's interesting. Uh, and this might just be a case of, well, this is definitely a case of me being, you know, American-centric in my thinking here, because because uh, I see our, our many, many wars as being kind of a... I don't know, easy to identify and easy to separate. I never really considered that they weren't. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Because, I, I mean, I couldn't, tell, I couldn't talk about any other uh, conflicts in other countries. I couldn't speak to them with any sort of uh, legitimacy or, uh, or accuracy. You know, I couldn't tell you any of that stuff. It's, it's funny because uh, one of the things we were watching, me and my wife were watching... Um, an episode of Saved by the Bell, because uh, we were just killing time in the middle of the day, and uh, we have some shows that we watch late in the evening, like uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul or whatever, but we don't like watching those in the daytime, so we were trying to like just kill some time, so we put on some Saved by the Bell, and they were studying for a test where they needed to know dates, and... Uh, like which when which war was this? What uh, you know? What battle was this? Uh, when did this person become, you know, uh, become president or royalty? What what year? You know, and I remember how much that screwed me up growing up because I was so terrified of going to high school because I would because all I all that was in my head was that I was going to have to learn all these dates. And of course, you know, you get to high school and nobody cares about dates. I mean, you, you have so, some dates, of course, but it's never like it is on TV where uh, where it's like you need to know exact dates for every single thing. It's uh, it's funny. You know, I don't know why that came. Oh, I, I do know why that came to mind. But uh, eh, I just thought that was a, an interesting thing that, you, that just went through my mind the other day. And uh, and here we are talking about it uh, on the show. Now we uh, we wrap up with uh, Damien saying, uh, as you say, they probably know they used the wrong leader, they used the queen, 
But in a world where there are druids hanging on every street corner, they thought they could get away with it. And that's true. <laughs> that's true. It's. I, I mentioned this, uh, I think, several episodes ago, where I was talking about the friends I had in high school um, who were really, really into anime. And they, like, they really thought that everything they saw in an anime was going to be like on every street corner in Japan like but not like just advertisements for stuff but like real you know real stuff from anime and it's it's funny cuz it's just uh, it's so easy to distill a culture and uh, use the the pop culture trappings uh, of a culture and uh, it makes me wonder what people think about uh, about Americans more because uh I mentioned that in you know anime and manga, they usually show us uh, more like cowboys, and I guess like pretty much everywhere else they show us as being wildly overweight and uh, and sweaty. But uh, I-, I wonder what uh, what other <laughs> what other cultures think of uh, what what's the distillation of an American, and that that might be a very very loaded question. So maybe I won't actually ask it, but. Uh, I think that's uh, that's where we'll leave that. Uh, uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. I always look forward to your messages here, and I I appreciate the education in uh, in Britishness, <laughs> as it were. Uh, but I think that's where we'll cut it for today. Um, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com or at Ace Comics on Twitter. You can find show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. Find us on Facebook at 90sxmen. Find us on Tumblr at wherever the hell it is. I am uh, considering starting a mailing list. I'm putting pieces together for that, so I'll I'll have more information on that as it it comes available. And there are some some other projects that are brewing, uh, both xlapsed and otherwise, so... I will uh, announce those as they come, uh, as they start to come to pass. So, look forward to that. If uh, if you would ever look forward to anything I do, I, you might like it. So we'll see. But I think that's where we will leave it. Oh, oh yeah, the full audio archives, ChrisandReggie.Podbean.com. All those hours of entertainment, or <laughs> as it were, are waiting for you there. But that's where we'll leave it. Uh, one giant thank you to everyone and. Uh, I guess an apology for uh, being so down on this issue. Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't think I don't think comic creators wake up in the morning and say, "I'm going to write a comic that stinks." Um, and you know, this might not necessarily stink to you, but it baffled me pretty good. So there's that. So thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, until next time, when we discuss, when we all get deathbirded in New Mutants number five, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. No more